Hello, everyone. It's Angeline Chen. Welcome to Immigration Today, where I interview leaders, advocates, experts, and volunteers in immigration and immigrant rights on the issues, their experiences, and how you can make a difference. Today, we have Eliza Brennan. Eliza Brennan is a Senior Program Officer for Education and Migration at the International Community Foundation, ICF. ICF is a nonprofit foundation where U.S. donors who are passionate about protecting the environment and improving the quality of life in Baja California and Latin America. Eliza leads ICF's nearly $3 million education portfolio with the goal of expanding educational opportunities for vulnerable children in Mexico and other regions of Latin America to succeed in school, careers, and life. Since 2018, Eliza has also steered ICF's programmatic work related to immigrants, refugees, and deportees in the San Diego-Tijuana border. She also oversees ICF's growing portfolio of grants in Central America. Eliza joined ICF in August 2015 and has served in several roles. Eliza's prior experience include being the development associate and volunteer manager at the Fabretto Children's Foundation in Nicaragua. She also interned at the Millennium Challenge Corporation, Agora Partnerships, and the United States Agency for International Development, USAID. She holds a Master of Public Affairs from the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin, and a BS in Foreign Service from Georgetown University. She has 30 years of experience living and working in Latin America and academic experiences in China and South Africa. Eliza, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Angeline. Thank you. This is an amazing uh, resume of yours. Um, you've done a lot. Thank you so much. Is it okay if we get into some questions to get to learn more about you and your work? Of course. Awesome. Thank awesome. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how it happened or why you're interested in helping people in Baja California and Latin America? Sure. So um, I always say I really uh, had the privilege of growing up um, as sort of a global nomad. My father was in the Foreign Service, the United States Foreign Service, and we moved every three or four years. So um, he, at, at the time, it was uh, more possible or more encouraged for his career to stay in one geography, and that happened to be Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for our family, that was a really good fit and um I just really learned to to embrace being kind of the new kid all the time, but all the um, wonderful benefits of of getting to explore the world and meeting new cultures and um, and engaging with people who might have come from really different backgrounds. And so that really um, sparked my you know seeded my interest in staying in this international field and mm -hmm. continue to to work with different cultures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no that's awesome and I mean you know you could have done anything you wanted basically um looks like you had an amazing background and, and upbringing but what kind of drew you to you know helping with these specific people um and, and just doing nonprofit work even okay um so my I think my parents always sort of fostered a, a culture of, you know, community service within our home. 
Uh, I would say probably the most formative experiences for me were when my parents were in Nicaragua and I was actually at Georgetown. Um, so I'd already decided that I wanted to study international relations or follow in the footsteps, as I mentioned. Uh, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. And I, you know, I reflected on my experiences in high school in Costa Rica where I would you know, do Habitat for Humanity builds or, mm. you know, even just like Christmas drives and sort of your standard, like, uh, kind of more charity and nonprofit volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when my parents were in Nicaragua, honestly, I was really struck by the stark, um, disparities between Costa Rica and Nicaragua. These are two mm. countries similar to the U.S. and Mexico that share a border. And yet the socioeconomic realities are so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my parents being based in Nicaragua while I was in university really gave me that opportunity to see that, um, the, the level of poverty and the level of systemic challenges that people can face to, um, improving their lives and providing, you know, food and shelter for their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while I was in it, you know, visiting them over my summer breaks from Georgetown, I was um, really compelled to do something beyond, you know, a, a one-day Habitat for Humanity build or, or things of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. And Georgetown didn't yet have an uh, international development focus, but there were several courses uh, that I was able to take related to the topic. And of course, USAID, United States Agency for International Development, um, is a pretty prominent uh player in Central America. And so I had the opportunity to learn about how, you know, bilateral assistance and the U.S. foreign assistance model works. Um, But then truthfully, it was just through the the networks, the relationships that that you can build being in country, you know, having your feet on the ground, that I was Mm -hmm. able to connect with the Fibretto Children's Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, that truly changed my life meeting uh Kevin Marinacci, the founder and, and president of, of Fabretto. Uh he invited me pretty much immediately to join one of their not just join, but sort of co-host, help him, you know, sort of just tag along and be a be a helper for whatever one of his donor trips needed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, within a matter of a couple of days, I was up in the very northern, um, northern mountainous region of Nicaragua, the border of Honduras in a small town called San Jose de Cusmapa. And, you know, it's a whole other reality from the capital cities of of most countries. And, and Mm -hmm. it was, um, it was, you know, it, it's a beautiful region, the people, and this is, this is true across the board in Nicaragua, the people are really beautiful people, Mm -hmm. uh, hardworking. And so that really inspired me to, you know, continue to pursue opportunities to get more kind of, um, field work, I would say, than, than kind of going with the development model through USAID or, you know, some of the other agencies that I had, had done internships with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, ultimately, Nicaragua and, and Fabretto became a really big part of my story and my career, mm-hmm. um, my career trajectory, because uh, it was there that I later moved back. Um, my parents were no longer signed there, but I moved mm-hmm. back after university for the development position with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and met my now husband, who was also mm. working in the nonprofit sector. So, uh, <laughs> Nicaragua and and that nonprofit experience in living there was really uh, a formative part of my my experience. 
or my story. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I mean, you, you mentioned it changed your life. You meaning going there changed your life because it opened your eyes to seeing how you can help people in, in a different way or, or basically um, just determining what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. Like how did it really uh, change your life? So, I mean, I think one thing about getting experience within a nonprofit and especially a nonprofit of um, a certain size or a certain, um, uh, yeah, like a nonprofit that has has infrastructure, I should I would say, uh, is that you really see that, um, you know, doing volunteer service is amazing. And I will never discount that uh, both as a personal experience and, and you know, like, the the impact that you can have by going on a habitat build or stuffing backpacks for a school drive like that manual labor is is so rewarding and important in many ways but being part of an organization that's you know writing curriculum or hiring mm -hmm. and training teachers or identifying new technologies um you really are part of a more like systemic and longer term solution yes uh, which is, you know, similar, I think, to a lot of careers. It's it's really rewarding. You get to be part of a of a <clears throat> long term project, and um, and the the impact I would say is generally on people's lives, right? So mm -hmm. um, now being at ICF, which is a foundation, I'm I'm definitely a little bit more at arm's length from that type of impact. You know, I'm not sitting in the room, right. you know, at, at the teacher training that I helped coordinate, you know, mm -hmm. or or bringing donors to visit, you know, their sponsored children or, or, you know, coordinating a, a build of a new kitchen or something, mm -hmm. but I am still getting the rewarding um, feeling, I guess, of empowering those types of organizations who are providing longer term solutions. Um, and you didn't ask this, but I feel like this, I'm just going to jump on to this yeah. topic of sort of uh, institutional capacity and, and how important that is. And, mm -hmm. and I've, you know, being at Fabretto and then now at ICF, it's something that we, um, we really prioritize as one of our main objectives is empowering and uplifting civil society to mm -hmm. ensure that civil society as a whole, you know, the, the diversity of nonprofits, the small ones, the big ones, a thriving civil society is really critical to um, a healthy and resilient society. And we've seen that over and over again uh, in the border region. We've seen it throughout Mexico and Latin America. And um, I think that's one of the, the things that continues to drive me in my current role is even though I'm a little bit more arm's length away from the human impact that I used to get in, in Nicaragua, I'm getting to see how how organizations are strengthening and therefore better able to do their work. You know, we're really uplifting and and supporting some incredible community leaders and activists um, who are doing really doing the important work. And we're just mm -hmm. doing what we can to make sure that they have the resources they need to continue that work. So, um, yeah, no, it's <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's great. It's fantastic. This you know, this is all about you today. So, you get to say however, whatever you want, however you feel. Um, no, I I do think that it's it's really important being on the foundation side to have the hands on experience. You know, with you doing actually building a house and then going from there to doing more you know, uh, sustainable programming 
and then going into the foundation. I think that's really important. Is that very common for people at ICF to to have come from um, kind of more uh, more hands on experience? Is, is that pretty common? That's, yes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, we're a small team. Um, when I joined ICF in 2015, I think we were six or seven staff, and now we oh, are. Wow. I want to say 14 or 15. Nice. The number straight, but we are a pretty diverse group of people. A lot of uh, we're based in San Diego, so a lot of my colleagues um, are you know border kids, or <laughs> as mm-hmm. we say, you know, really cross border, cross uh, binational. Um, and, uh, and everyone I think comes with some element of experience either in, you know, working in a, directly in a nonprofit or in some sort of community leadership position. So we really value that experience. Um, we think it, it, you know, it makes us stronger as a, as, you know, we, we try to practice trust-based philanthropy. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's, a, I don't know if that's too jargony for this audience, but no, it's good. Uh, the principles of, you know, like we trust that our partners are doing, are, are doing the best work that they can. And, and we try to um, give them as, as limited obstacles as legally possible for us to, to them doing that work. And so as a sort of general practice, we often do general operating grants um, and, you know, we try to make sure that our funding is as flexible and nimble as possible. We also do a bi-weekly, sorry, not bi-weekly, a weekly board vote, um, which means that every week we we process grants, which is very uncommon, I think, wow. in the information world because it's time consuming and it requires a lot of moving pieces. It requires our board being active and engaged. Um, and so, but we believe it's important because we're often responding to urgent needs. We're often the you know, largest or more significant funder of really, really small grassroots organizations where, you know, even a thousand dollars is paying their salaries and mm-hmm. making their, their work continue. So um, I think there, there's a lot of, a lot of these practices that ICF embodies are um, due to our experience as a team from having worked on the nonprofit side and seeing, you know, a delay of two months to get your money from a foundation is, can be really challenging to keeping, keeping the work moving. So. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about ICF. Like give me a little background on, um, I know you joined in 2015. What, what does the organization do? So the international community foundation is a community foundation model, which means we're, we're a public charity, but we, um, we operate as a community foundation, which means we have a specific geographic area of interest and we, um, administer funds or manage funds um, that include donor advised funds and uh, what are typically called agency funds. We call them our friends of funds. Uh, and those funds are essentially fiscal sponsorship for nonprofits in Mexico um, that have legal status in Mexico, where we do a due diligence process to ensure that they are equivalent to a U.S. nonprofit. And so they can access um, funding from U.S. donors or U.S. Mm-hmm. assets. Um, and, and those donors can receive or are eligible for all of their tax benefits in the United States. But the funding is going to support initiatives in uh, usually in Mexico or Central America. So we have about 100 of those agency funds 
I think all except one are actually in Mexico, um, but that is changing as our Central America portfolio grows. Mm-hmm. And um, and then our donor advised funds, of course, have uh, different donors. And so our geographic area of interest is, as I said, Latin America and the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, but our programmatic area of interest is really as diverse as our donors and the communities where we're working. Um, mm-hmm. So we have um, uh, we, we have program officers and sort of uh, tr- strategic pillars for our environment work our education work and our what we call migration and human rights work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have a robust uh, cohort of organizations and partners doing health work. Um, and we have several strategic initiatives that are more cross-cutting, for example, um, food systems or um, anything related to LGBTQI rights or mm-hmm. um you know, so so there's we recognize there's a lot of intersectionality between the programs that we sure. that we administer, um, but we also you know in total we have about 300 funds. So it's really hard wow. to articulate every type of program sure. area of interest. Um, in a nutshell, when people ask what does ICF do, I often say we're sort of a matchmaker between um, donors. And the charitable causes or, or issues that they that they care about in mm-hmm. Latin America. And where is your funding coming from, or where are these donors coming from? So again, they're pretty diverse. I would say mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> most of them are are individuals, and mm-hmm. they you know everyone has their own unique and amazing story of how they came to us or why you know they are. Um, why they're uh, part of this community of charitable giving, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of our donors, especially historically, are binational or you know Mexican Americans who live in the U.S. and have assets in the U.S. but you know want to give back to the communities of their origins. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, uh, we have people who are Americans who have chosen to retire or spend significant amounts of time in in. Mexico. So um, the Baja Peninsula, there's a large expat community from the US and Canada. And, um, you know, those, those individuals likewise have their assets in the US, but have become very close to organizations and and communities and want to give back to those communities. And for example, Los Cabos or La Paz, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our funding historically has gone to environment and conservation work. Mm-hmm. And that work um, has also been funded by institutional donors, so larger players in the environmental philanthropy uh, mm-hmm. ecosystem who don't necessarily have the um, relationships and uh, capacity to be giving in Baja or in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, we've become their kind of programmatic administrators for for programs that are supporting, um, you know, sustainable fishing initiatives or um, the creation of marine protected areas like Cabo Pulmo near near Los Cabos. Um, those types of, of big environmental issues that really mm-hmm. require grassroots activism and, and mm-hmm. grassroots um, funding. Those types of initiatives have been funded um, through us and, and in partnership with our environment team. Um, Some. No, yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm always wondering. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's not easy, right? It, uh, um, and you've grown, so it's it's great. People know who you are coming to you to 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 want to help the community. Um, it's fantastic. 
Uh, so you've spearheaded some programming for immigrants, refugees, and deportees in the San Diego, Tijuana area. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. I found, I found you from a, I was telling you earlier, a social media post um, where immigrant defenders and this is about humanity and Tijuana sin hambre, all this, these organizations that are doing amazing work for migrants in Tijuana, San Diego. And I said, who's ICF? I'm going to look them up. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about the programming. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the programming for that. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, we are based in, in National City in San Diego County. Uh, and so, you know, historically we've been, ICF was founded in 1990, which I would say not so coincidentally is the same year that NAFTA passed. And mm. uh, there was just generally a, you know, influx of, of cross-border, um, you know, resources to the border and then cross-border uh, trade and collaboration. Uh, and so a lot of our donors and our, and our former board members uh, were, were very focused on the border region, but mm -hmm. interestingly, ICF didn't necessarily have any sort of fund that was, you know, dedicated to the migrant or immigrant community. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the nature of how immigration has changed so much in our country since the nineties, mm -hmm. um, how policies have changed the the flow of people and, and the way, you know, the, de the demographic of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even though we, you know, had certainly made grants before, per perhaps more sort of like one-off or what we call like transactional grants to to the, the small network of shelters that, that was operating in Tijuana, we weren't, we weren't necessarily engaging with the migrant and asylum seeker community. And mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> until about 2015, which was when there was, or 2016, I'm sorry, there was a large influx of um, Haitian migrants to the yes. border. Uh, largely in response to change in U.S. policy to their status. And so, and, and of course, you know, in advance of that policy, people were choosing to come to the border in order to access that status. I think it was temporary protected status um, before it was revoked. And so that is a perfect example of how U.S. policy has always and, and continues to impact the flows of people and the demographic of people at our border. Um, yes. But so the the arrival of that approximately fifteen thousand Haitian migrants in Tijuana, you know, captured headlines and captured mm -hmm. you know people's interests. And so um, we had several donors, both individuals and institutional, approach us and ask, "What are we doing? How can we support?" And mm -hmm. that's exactly you know where I say we're a matchmaker. People come to us with a question like that, and we're like, "We'll get on it," even if we're not necessarily working in that space. If it's a if it's a geography that we know well. We can mm -hmm. do that, um, do that work to to assess, you know, assess who the who the players are and figure out how to best respond. Um, and we came across a smaller organization called Espacio Migrante, which actually at the time was more of just a movement. It was it was a very volunteer run movement as opposed to an actual legal organization. Mm -hmm. um, but they were doing know your rights workshops. They had engaged with the with a handful of the Haitian you know immigrants that they mm -hmm. that. In Tijuana, um, and they were hiring people to do the Creole translation interpretation of those Know Your Rights workshops. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were able to facilitate the funding of those workshops. And then, kind of out of that experience, um, you know, we were like, we we should really have a fund that's focused on. You know, this is not an issue that's new to the region, nor is it right. an issue that's ever going to go away. And so. Right. Um, this is this is a 
kind of core group of, of organizations that um, exists in this geography that we work in and mm-hmm. we haven't engaged with. And so we launched what we call our border fund. Um, and it's funny because at the time it felt almost like a political statement to, mm-hmm. uh, to yeah. be launching the border fund. And now it sounds so silly. It's of course, you know, it's almost, it's too vague and it's too <laughs> uh, all encompassing, but our border fund is intentionally um broad because we we never know what the exact needs are going to be so the objectives of that fund are to support people on the move at in Mm -hmm. the u.s mexico border region um up to now we have primarily focused on the california baja california region Mm -hmm. mostly because of uh funding ability and and you know we've there's an ever and never ending demand for services and, and resources Right. in Tijuana. And so, and this is the region that we know best, but we have also facilitated some grants to shelters along the Texas and, and New Mexico border. Um, but anyway, so, so the border fund has, um, has funded basic needs such as, you know, shelter, hmm. food, basic preventative health care. Um, mm-hmm. We've also funded legal services. We've funded um, um, cultural and sort of, um, like integration awareness raising uh, events. So hmm. again, referring to Espacio Migrante, they they do an annual festival called Miradas Fronterizas, which the objective is to grow understanding and, and um, compassion and, and strengthen trust between immigrant communities and the communities where they're arriving. So events like that. Oh, um, that's beautiful. Yeah, so through the Border Fund, we've been able to support, you know, the whole sort of uh, range of, of wraparound services that, that might be needed to, mm-hmm. for a community that is always going to be welcoming um, new new people from all over the world. Um, that This is about humanity relationship is an amazing relationship with um, mm-hmm. that they're actually a, a group of donors who have come together and and continue to leverage and raise awareness about the mm-hmm. needs of people at the, at the border um and uh through both the border fund and the this is about humanity fund at icf we've been able to fund um immigration defenders we, we there's a lot of overlap in the mm-hmm. in the the nonprofit partners that we support and um ultimately Overall, I think ICF has funded, uh, has has provided more than $2 million in funding since 2016, specifically wow. for the immigrant refugee community at, at, in Tijuana. So we're really Amazing. proud and, and grateful for that partnership with This Is About Humanity and, um, That's and, and all of our donors. <laughs> yeah thank you so much for that for that help because it's so needed. I actually do go to the border quite a bit with um a volunteer group I co-founded called Rise to Reunite. And we bring volunteers uh, to the shelters in Tijuana. And sometimes we do a little bit of legal advice with um, El Otro Lado, which is another legal services organization. And then, but most of the time it's a little bit of, just, you know, a little bit of humanitarian aid. And uh, then most recently we went to San Diego when they were, when the migrants were being released from Customs and Border Protection with hearing notices, and then they're being bused to this um, this school, and nonprofits are helping in deaf as well, al otro lado as well, in terms of trying to figure out where they need to go, yeah, yeah and and see if their families are separated, see where their families are, and it was 
that was just a few weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I, and I worked a lot with, um, Haitian migrants as well, but it just, it's, it's, there really is a need. And I mean, you know, people, the news is always talking about how, Oh, this influx, we have to, there's all these people coming in. It's a horrible thing, but really it's been this backlog for a while because of title 42 and, and people just have been trying to come in. And so they're, they're, they're finally letting them in now, but it may, the media is always kind of turning it into this, this horrible issue. And that's, I always yeah. have problems with that. Um, yeah. And, <clears throat> so how do organizations kind of apply for funding through you? So that's an interesting question because like I said, we, we manage about 300 funds and mm-hmm. each fund has sort of a different way of operating. Uh so there's there's sort of a steep learning curve, I always say, for people who are new to our new to our staff, um, because every program sort of has their different way of working. But our border fund um is a sort of open call for proposals. We we try to stay abreast of everyone who's who's working in this space. And um, you know, through word of mouth, I think we've we've granted to over 40 organizations. We've we've identified and granted to more than 40 organizations. Um, you know, covering the the gamut of of needs. Um, but we we try not to just keep the funds. You know, the, the idea is for this fund to be responsive as much as possible. And you know, as as you mentioned, there's never there's never an end to the kind of changes and policies and how you know that is impacting the border. And so there's always new needs and new um, kind of programs that that come across our our plate. Um, but it's a fund that we also have to fundraise for. And so sure. the, the, you know, we're always, we're, we're funny because people think of us as a funder, but we all are also wearing a fundraising hat. And so right. we're often looking for new partners and trying to raise awareness about the needs, um, in the communities where we work. Um, and so to your point, you know, storytelling and the narrative about the border is certainly something we really think a lot about. And we try to work with our, local partners to speak about their work and the importance of their work and, and, you know, sort of negate the the media narrative about this being like a crisis. And, right. you know, we're really proud of how the organizations that we work with, that we, that we've really built relationships with over the past five, six years, they've gone from the, the, being these really grassroots organizations that maybe didn't even have a paid staff, uh, paid staff member to now having, you know, a functioning board and, oh, yeah. and paid staff. And, um, and I think that for us is a metric of success. Um, and, and that allows them to be more effective and efficient in responding to this quote unquote crisis, right? Like yeah. the, what you saw on the San Diego side of the border with the street releases, I mean, the organizations working in San Diego, Jewish Family Services and mm-hmm. um, La Familia and, and all of all, MDEF, their their level of infrastructure has become a model for other parts of the border yes. um, because they are triaging and and they they learned by doing. They were building the plane while they were flying it in response, mm-hmm. you know, to um, remain in Mexico and Title Forty Two being implemented. Um, and that's what we kind of that's the vision we have for the the civil society on the Tijuana side of the border that there will be a 
and and I think they're getting there. You know, al otro lado and and espacio migrante and and the shelter network of thirty some plus shelters of diverse you know types and focuses. They're they're working together in a way that they weren't pre twenty sixteen. Um, yeah. And so it's no longer always crisis mode, but there is more stable infrastructure. Um, and so anyway, that, to your to your question, we receive proposals on an ongoing basis. We have yeah. phone calls. It's a very ad hoc. We don't we rarely have like a big enough fund balance to do like a formal call for proposals sure. for our border work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of intentional and by design. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, do do you have maybe a, a a recent story or a success story of of uh, someone? I know you're not doing direct services, but you know, organization you funded and then you know used use that um, donation to help people. Like, have you? Because I'm sure you are always aware of what's happening. Um, do you have kind of a story that kind of touched your heart and in, in someone that that's been helped? Oh, yeah, or family. There, you know, there are so many. And um, Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, for us, we're often we're thinking about success in terms of this like healthy, resilient ecosystem of civil society who's able to respond. And so um, our partners are when they're reporting to us, they're first of all, they're often protecting the identities and, and, you know, the the situations that their 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 beneficiaries are experiencing but i do know from you know having done site visits and and spending time um with some of the organizations i think one of the most um kind of inspiring for me anyway success stories was a young woman who came from el salvador and you know had been in i think she was in university in el salvador um had you know, family members who had been killed and felt like, and, and was being threatened by the, by the gangs. And so mm-hmm. felt like she had to leave left with her mother. Um, every, everyone you speak to, if, if they are willing to share, as I'm sure, you know, you know, has mm-hmm. these harrowing stories of the journey that they take um, to get to our border. And so all of these people are just such incredibly strong uh, oh. humans. <laughs> and totally. she you know, one young woman in her 20s, um, at the time of her arrival in Tijuana, which was a couple of years ago, it was still really hard to get any sort of residency status. The, the Mexican government has since implemented some different types of humanitarian visas and whatnot. But um, in order to, to go to university, she had to have some sort of legal status. And so she worked with some of the local organizations to get enrolled um, and is studying to be a lawyer. But mm. at the same time, became a community outreach coordinator. So she was living in the shelter at Espacio Migrante, which is a mm-hmm. small shelter just for families. And um, she was living in the shelter and then um, and then decided to continue pursuing this dream of, of becoming a lawyer. And, you know, was really inspired by the legal services that had been provided to her. And, and I think that, you know, the re- recognizing that like one of the most effective ways, as you know, to give back in these situations is, is providing your expertise as a lawyer mm-hmm. and advocating for people. And so, um, and so she's now in university and, and she also has become a staff member of an organization that previously 
didn't even have a paid executive director, you know? And so those, those types of stories for me are like, that's, it's the whole package, right? It's the organization yeah. has succeeded. They are, they're hiring people who aren't just, you know, benefiting migrants, but are themselves migrants. Yes. Inspiring them to pursue careers that will continue to build the, the, the resources and the ecosystem. So um, that's I know awesome. it's not exactly the heartstring story of like, I, we have a lot of those too. Yeah, no, I totally get it. We need, you know, different perspectives and it's great to see that, you know, she's become, um, you know, in a place where she wants to be and it's also helping the cause and is, you know, benefiting the organization. And no, I get it. You're, you're a foundation. So this is the stuff that you, you look like you look at too. And it's, <laughs> and it's so, and it's so important. So yeah, thank you for sharing. So um, in terms of if there are some wealthy listeners out there and they wanted to <laughs> donate um, or create a fund, how would they do that? Uh, they can contact me or, or my colleague, one of my colleagues, but I, let, we can start with me. <laughs> uh, so you can contact me at my, at my email, uh, which is my name, E-L-I-Z-A at icfdn.org. And um, you can check out our website. We're currently in the middle of a website revamp. We're hoping it will be, uh, the new website will be launched in January. So our content is a little bit outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, but on our website, there's still sort of the basic information about the different types of funds that we manage. And um, I mean, if you're interested in just contributing to the to the border fund, um, we have a donation link for that. You can go oh, to great. donate icfdn.org um, and then search for the border fund oh, and um, all the funds that go into that fund um, as I said are, are sort of, it's a it's a rare discretionary fund just for our strategy to um, to embrace and support the community of, of migrants and refugees and asylum seekers at the US Mexico border so um, if people have, you know, larger interests and visions and want to set up their own donor advised funds, that's where they could contact me and, um, we can help kind of hone in on what people's interests are and, and how we can help put your dollars to work. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that anybody could donate to the border fund as well. We, um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That we, we will definitely put that information, um, on the bio when we publicize the podcast and thank you. Uh, thank so, you so yeah. Much. Well, Liza, thank you for everything you do. Um, it's it's really been a pleasure. I love hearing about the foundation side. This I think this is the first time I've interviewed somebody from a foundation um, about about the border work. So this is this is great. Uh, so thank you so much for all your time, and hopefully we can have you back in the future. Thank you, thank you so much for the invitation and and helping us to promote this important issue and and everything you're doing in your volunteer time. <laughs> oh, thanks. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only, and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. 
Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.